the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. What's up, loyal listeners? You're listening to Rockin' Ricky Rialto on the number 902. And if you saw our billboard on Main Street this afternoon, don't tell Amblin Entertainment. We did not get permission to use the Indiana Jones font or logo or character design. So please keep it to yourselves. Just kidding. Don't change your dial. Don't freak out. It's okay, listeners. This is not Rockin' Ricky Rialto. This is Kyle from the Gory Days, the show where we... Ah! Oh, excuse me. The show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite 80s horror movies from the 1980s and early 1990s. That opening bit will make a lot more sense uh, when I introduce the movie that we picked this week. But before that, some Gory Days news. Uh, like I mentioned on last week's episode, I think, or maybe two weeks ago, I went to Midsummer Scream, and as with the Hellraiser episode last week, we'll be sure to uh, insert another fun interview that I got with a fine young woman that I met at uh, Midsummer Scream. But besides that, I think that covers it for Gory Days news. Otherwise, I wanted to introduce our guest today, a uh, regular around the Gory Days offices, Derek is here today to tell us all about the movie that we have, as well as to tell us a little bit about the fantastic construction that we have going on here at the offices. There's a lot going on here these days. Hi. What? Hi, Derek. Derek, you're here. Sorry about that. Welcome. Welcome. Well, because Mike was on here last week and he didn't notice the aquarium that we put in, so we had them take that out. Just It didn't make sense for the decor, and you can obviously hear the construction going on, so I'm just curious, like... Were you the one heading this? I think I was the one that put you in charge. I don't... I don't... Why would you think I'd want to play a character? I fucking I'm hate not asking characters. you to play no, a character. Yes, you are. No, it's I'm all asking bullshit. you to play a version it's, it's of yourself. Character. I don't I'm want ask- to do this. I'm not asking you to play a character. I'm asking you to just you make, make up situations that aren't real based on yourself. a fucking character. That's about a character. Your- no, it's like if you know, like when I come into you and I say, "Hey, I have a new business idea for this silly thing." Like it's just me, but I like making things up. That's why I like improv because it's like you. But don't have I'm to not have- doing an improv with you. An improv. What's an improv? That's where you create a fictional scenario, lay out groundwork, and then yes and me into the room. All right, well, all pretense aside, Derek is here in the booth. Welcome. Hi. Wet blanket of the year. How how, how was that award show, by the way? I missed it. It was pretty drab. Yeah, yeah. Not not a lot of turnout. Who are the other contenders? Is there supposed to be a laugh track for every joke you have? Am I supposed to... What jokes? I haven't made a joke. That was a funny joke about the, the wet blanket awards being pretty drab and there weren't a lot of people. I guess it was funny. No, you're the the one who hammered me with a question right after it and then expected me to have a funny follow-up joke. I guess the first one wasn't funny enough. And you're doing a great job. Derek Palmer is here. Welcome to the Gory Days. How are you doing? Okay. A little bit, little bit, uh, a little bit ill, but beyond that, I'm okay. Yeah, you mentioned that you had uh, a little bit of a stomach ache. Is that from, you said that you were like having some fun the other day off mic. Yeah, no, I really wanted to just talk about the fact that I feel a little hungover. That was that's a shame. <laughs> that was well, I mean, if that's on your mind, what's me up? saying that I had a little bit of a stomachache. I could have just said I was hungover if I wanted to say that. I'm sorry about that. We don't have to reveal to the listeners your personal uh, proclivities, but uh, uh, stomachache. What do you? What's going on? Got the I'm a little hungover. Oh, okay, we're what sticking you to like... the little hungover part. Okay, you were partying. 
Not really. Does no. it count as partying when you're just drinking at a bar? No, we went to the Cork Lounge uh, recently in Van Nuys uh, just for a random night. It, w- it happened to be karaoke night, but we went just for drinking. Honestly, it was pretty nice. Yeah, it's I, a low-key place. If I could get them as a sponsor in here, that'd be pretty great. <laughs> had you ever been there before? I think you. Ha- we have. Yeah, we had. I had never been to the bar part of it. I mean, a bit of the restaurant part of it. I went to the. Uh, we went to the restaurant part of it. Uh, together at some point i'd been there earlier before for another podcast uh or meeting uh for a podcast but then i also went there most recently for a meetup group for other podcasters in the area and so that's a nice segue into this um on wednesday of uh, this week i visited a meetup group it's an app you know the meetup group right yeah have you ever well, used it or... no okay i mean you but... mean the, i know of the meetup app yeah and you know the concept i know of what meeting apps up. are i've you heard of apps and people you've I'm heard good. of apps you've heard of people and you've heard of meeting them yeah i've got so, i've got all the groundwork yeah laid. blend all that together and you get the meetup app which also is not a sponsor but we'll see if we can fix that in the you don't future. you don't need to keep saying it no one thinks you have sponsors we don't have any sponsors and no one yeah. thinks we have sponsors. i know but you, every saying... time every time you say a brand you like to clarify that they're not a sponsor which is courteous but because the, i think it's important from a journalistic perspective it's important to say that now now you are a journalist well if i'm going to mention a product i don't want to make it sound like i'm endorsing it you know or that like uh they paid to be on here if i'm endorsing something it's just from my own free will but i want to make that clear from a journalistic standpoint i know i'm just i'm just saying i don't think a lot of people went oh i think they're sponsored hmm you don't think okay well i'll continue and uh we'll see if anybody gets confused uh what was i talking about your journalistic career Oh, that's right. Uh, I don't like to say that brands... Uh, I don't like to just men- mention brands without saying that they're not a sponsor on here. But why was I saying that? Walk us back a little bit. This is why we need a stenographer on this show. And you're just giving me this dead-eye stare. You're, listen to this. He's just, he's just like looking at me with nothing in his eyes. Like, what do you want from me? There's nothing well, I want. I fundamentally misunderstand the, the live show attitude, I guess. Is that... It doesn't make any sense to me. You're you're railing against dead air, and it's like thirty seconds of nothing that you can just clip and what have else, no dead air. That's what you. What else would I do? Okay, uh, what what are the podcasts you listen to that edit themselves so masterfully? None really. I None. Listen to like so two what podcasts is it? And they so don't what is this? I, what is this based on? Radio plays that you listen to? Where's this? Idea? Why are you interviewing me? I'm have asking a conversation. You. Do you? You are. This is a conversation. You're a human being. You know what a conversation is, right? This is a conversation. It's not waiting for me to say a thing and then asking a follow up question on it every time. That is a conversation. I guess, but... That's me being interested in what you have to say. But in a really artificial way. Okay, like let's the thing make this I'm more saying, organic. The I'm thing sorry. I'm saying is not like that interesting. You take it super seriously and try to expand on it. Okay, so let, okay, let's make this a conversation. So no, I'm just talking about the fact that, you know, it's... You do a live hang show on, kind of on, format. Hang on, hang on, check this email. Okay, go ahead. But there's really no need to adhere to it. Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make this more like a real world organic conversation. Isn't that what people do? Did, did I? They're always just on their phones. That you were doing something wrong. No, Again, you didn't, and you well, should. Have. Apparently, you don't know what a conversation is because a nice, pleasant person wouldn't complain. I can just wait and say my thing while you check your email. Mm, the intern that made this coffee for me here at the uh, Gory Days Studios that absolutely exists was delicious. The the intern was delicious. The intern that made. <laughs> Because you did not have enough words in that sentence. This coffee is delicious. I've also eaten an intern. Anyway, 
I went to, I'm going, okay, you know what? I'm going to tell a story like a conversation does. Yeah, okay? that's, that's and normal. And if you find something interesting, maybe you'll ask a follow-up question okay. and I won't bite your head off. But we'll find out. We'll find out here on the gory days. I went to, <laughs> I went to the Cork Lounge on a meetup group, which is the meetup app, which is not a sponsor, that uh, was like a, a basically a thing for everyone who could make it to the cork lounge and is interested in podcasting and i was surprised to see that there was a range of people there were people who already have their podcast there are people who have ideas for a podcast there are people who have ideas for ideas for a podcast it was really fun and i connected with a lot of them i really look forward to maybe doing some trades and having them on this show and maybe me being a guest on their show there was a person uh yeah what, what was one of the shows yeah there was a person in particular that uh already has the show that's focused on gardening um all about gardening tips and uh tricks and i don't know anything about gardening nor do i really have an interest but i thought about you um when he mentioned like a gardening podcast because he he said that the important thing that brought a lot of his listeners in was the combination of his podcast and a blog he said when he started his podcast a lot of people were contacting him saying "Ooh, like i wanted to write that down i can't remember where you said that blah 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 and so uh he made a blog that would have his videos and like time stamped throughout or his, his podcast and it'd be like time stamped throughout so it's like a minute six is where i talk about this Four minutes is where I talk about that. I, I, I think like that's that. a great idea. Well, it, it, it's a pushback against one of the things I can't stand of the video generation, I guess, that we're in now as far as like, it used to be if I searched for a tutorial to do something, I'd get a website with a list of steps. Yeah. No, 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 not anymore. Now I get a YouTube video with the First. list of steps, which it's like, I see why people prefer that. I'm obviously in the minority who doesn't want it. Visual learners. And so... I, I like the idea that I can go and just get the text information rather than having to listen to an hour and a half of conversation. That's that's good. I but mean, you're... it's an informational blog. I don't really know how you do that with this podcast, but... Um, I guess, like, if people... I was thinking about that. You're not that. saying that it was applicable information. You're just telling me about the guy. I'm just telling you about the, the guy. But, I mean, his advice was to... I was telling him, oh, I just started putting my uh, podcast on YouTube, which is what I'm doing. You can find them on YouTube.com slash The Gory Days. Um, and uh, he asked me, oh, are you time separating those? And I said, no. And he said, oh, you should. You should put, like, you know, one minute six is where the intro is. Uh, this is where the recap starts. This is where, you know, things throughout so that people can click through uh yeah it's an okay idea this. but bluntly youtube is not how people watch podcasts no it's a I, stupid, I thought that was strange. it's a stupid waste of time but actually. his point his point was that it's it's just about spreading the net as wide as possible you want to be everywhere as many free places no matter if it's video or audio you just got to be out there because people are all over the internet well yeah you'll never know where you'll find a repeat viewer repeat listener yeah so that was interesting and then his wife uh either wrote or like you know consulted on a monkey's book all about the monkeys from you know the beginning their their first uh show uh, all the way till i guess they're still touring is what she said is that davy jones passed away but they still continue without him um and i guess they just have like a replacement or uh, well i mean they were never a real band so there's no reason why they I shouldn't be allowed to keep touring forever i still don't really understand the monkeys it was it a made... television show they made a television show about a band oh hold on uh, it sounds like this is time for our segment derek talks about the monkeys okay here's here's some wild conjecture then because i actually don't know the history of the monkeys that well but i'm pretty sure it was just a television show about a funny band 
So they cast the band. They actually cast people who could play the instruments for the show. Then the show was enough of a success that there was a demand for albums by the band. And they made actual music. And then eventually I think the show went away. And the band continued to exist as this weird, like, tongue-in-cheek, almost. Like, we know it's weird, like, satire, but it's still worth listening to, satire. Satire is probably the wrong word. It, it That almost gives it content and context. I don't know enough about the monkeys, but I really thought it was probably just a product that they cooked up in a studio, and then it just got away from them in a good way. This has been Derek Talks About the Monkeys. <laughs> Your B flat's sharp. Um, I wanted to do more segments on here. That was kind of part of the rebranding or reshifting, but um, it doesn't work if you don't plan for them in advance. Um, and it probably means a lot more composing. But uh, I think I finished my story about the meetup group. I think that was uh, oh one other interesting person that I met was uh, a veteran. She said she was in Iraq for like not seven to nine years or something like that, and she came back and. She doesn't have a podcast, but her idea is that she wants to talk about depression and suicide in the military um, like as her focus and have various people who either have friends or family or themselves have gone through things like she has, apparently. And I think that's great. I think anything to take the veil from uh, uh, mental health down is good. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, let's like, bring up let's bring up the energy with some suicidal veterans. I just think that's important to talk about. No, it's and not it's important to talk show. about in this context. <laughs> it's it is a... depressing as shit to talk about in this context. And that's like, the you stigma. know what else is really interesting? Sometimes veterans kill themselves. They definitely let's do. Let's talk about ghoulies. We should it should be that like okay, it shouldn't be that flippant, but it should be part of the like conversation. And if anyone if anybody out there who listens to this now or like thirty years from now hears me mention that someone was thinking about making a podcast about military suicide, then and that inspires them to action, then it was totally worth it. Because I don't know if this woman's going to make her podcast. Her idea might only live on in my words. Um, <laughs> and who knows? Did That's you how just, life like, is. deify yourself <laughs> in that example? You're like, I might be the only thing saving veterans. I am a walking... I am the thing that will save humanity. I am a walking, talking historian. I am a library of Alexandria, and when I'm gone, all you, of history will be you lost. You heard about a lady's idea, and it has made you feel like you have empowered a generation. I have conviction now that to is, carry this message on to the next... <laughs> The level I will of self-delusion. Go, I will go around the world telling people about this woman's idea to do something <laughs> and spread her message. <laughs> I don't even remember her name. I don't think she had a card. I feel terrible. If you're listening, please send me an email. I'd love for you to be a guest. And I, I would love to be a guest on your show and talk about... Uh, I've, I haven't been in the military, but I'd love to talk about all of that. Um, let's see. Anything else before we start ramping up to the break? The break? Yeah, I mentioned at the top of the show that you hated so much that we were going to insert an interview from the Midsummer Scream uh, where I talked to. And I do I not s- hate the show so much. <laughs> I said the intro. Oh. You hate the intro yeah, I so mean, maybe. much. <laughs> you hate the thing where I go, welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite movies. No, that part's, from the ni- that part's solid. The part I don't love is when you then sandbag the shit out of your guest by making them a comedy bang bang character. <laughs> Not- oh, I'm sorry. You're going to deny that one even? I was not trying to make you a comedy bang bang character, you son of a bitch. 
God, you're going to cut me right where it hurts. Slice! Okay, so, yeah, it's no secret. I've been inspired by some of my favorite podcasts, among them Comedy Bang Bang, Harmontown, uh, maybe even a little uh, WTF after the first 25 minutes, but... Um, yeah, it's no secret. No, and no, no, it's fine to look at quality and try to replicate it. I'm not trying to replicate it. And it well, if anything, yes, it is. You're it's good to look at art and try to replicate it because in that replication can come originality. It's not it's not no, and plagiarizing. Just talent and learning too. Well I yeah, mean... like all the best people copied are you know, just like learned from each other, learned from the past. Composers today have to learn from Beethoven and still read those uh backs have to stand on the backs of giants yes I, even in I, science i totally agree it's so then where's the line for plagiarism like this movie money off of it I, I'll, well this is a nice segue um like you know when does a movie go from or i'm sorry when does you know an art thing go from an homage or an inspiration and become just a total ripoff when it makes money off when of it, it starts to make money Basically. well the movie that we're talking about today is gremlins from 1984 and it's widely speculated that this movie was the movie that inspired ghoulies, critters, basically any movie with like teeny tiny puppet gross things. Um, and, you know, there have been some fingers pointed at movies like that that go, this is just gremlins. What are you guys doing? I'm like, no, this is an original idea. So I'm curious. That is, that is insulting. Yeah. The idea that someone could say gremlins was the origin of any original idea. Like... Oh, it's, you're on the other side. Yeah, no, it's goddamn puppets doing weird shit. Like, am I going to say that that's a copyrightable idea? That gremlins came up with the idea of wacky monsters doing annoying things? I'm trying to see. Because, I mean, that's a pretty ubiquitous idea in children's entertainment at this point. Probably was well before then, too. Well, because you've seen Ghoulies. Do you think it, like, do you think there's any argument that it's like, oh, this is the gremlins and you guys just copied the gremlins? That's such a stretch. Not really. No, it's just weird puppets. The The whole tone of Gremlins versus Ghoulies is very different. Like, Gremlins is stupid, it's a cautionary stupidly family-friendly the entire time. Like, my initial objection with Gremlins before you even get into any part of it is that it is not a horror movie. <laughs> and that it is wrong for us to be discussing it on this podcast. <laughs> and now that my complete objections have been recorded, now we you can, can relax. relax. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, there are many who speculate that this inspired not only ghoulies, um, but troll hobgoblins and uh, a movie called Munchies from 1987 that uh, was more about an individual like puppet genie that was doing all kinds of illicit bad things all over town that they had to put back in a bottle for some reason. Not gremlins at all, just because it had a tiny puppet. People are, you know, taking well, it's also more. a genie in a bottle. Is is this movie kind of like Genie in a Bottle? Well, there's, idea? A, there's a magic shop that has a bottled item for all intents and purposes that gets let out, causes ha havoc, and then has to be rebottled at the end. Hmm, I never thought about that. We'll hit on that a little bit later as we talk about the movie, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the fantastic 80s fantasy horror family comedy. God, multi hyphenate. Uh, <laughs> I almost said Ghoulies. Gremlins, 1984, when we come back. So obviously podcasting is an audio medium, so describe for the listener what we're looking at here. So this is a business called Mad Masks. These are all handcrafted leather masks. A lot of them are comic, but we also do anime and kids masks. Um, we do Disney as well. So catering mostly to the cosplayer community and uh, basically anybody that wants to dress up. 
Exactly. Cosplayers, people who love Halloween, um, anyone who just likes to, to dress up, you know. Honestly, these are really good quality. I would imagine like student films or things like that, people come to you? Do you yes, have... in fact, we have uh, people who do films come to us and we, we sell in bulk as well. Okay. Um, and yeah, they, they plug us on Instagram. We do the same for them. It's, it's really great. So what, what do you love about horror? What brings you to this world if you do love it? I actually love cosplay more than anything. Okay. Um, but we came to Midsummer last year, and we did very, very well. Um, people who love horror uh, also love to dress up. So it's kind of like, you know, it works both ways. Naturally, there's uh, a lot of overlap from what I've seen. A lot of the costume store or uh, booths, makeup booths and things like that. Um, do you specifically uh, have any kind of uh, relationship to horror? Do you like it? Or do you usually like fantasy or sci-fi um, or political dramas? I, I like horror. I mean, I, Freddy Krueger was one of my favorites growing up. Uh -huh. So I like more of the campy type horror. Oh, okay. You know, Jason. Well, that's what we focus on, the 80s. So, exactly. yeah, some of the uh, uh, not-as-good movies, but certainly no less memorable. Oh, they're so fun. They're yeah. So, so where would we find you online? So we are on uh, shopmadmask.com. We're also on eBay under um, the username mad underscore masks. And which is the best way, which gives you the most money and doesn't uh, take any percentage away from you? Our, our website, our official website of shopmadmasks.com. Okay, very, thank you very much. And what was your name? My name is Rachel. Nice to meet you, Rachel. Nice to meet you, too. days. Going to be depends. Yeah, depends. Uh, maybe, <laughs> probably. Welcome back to the gory days. If you're just joining us, like a radio show. If you're just joining us, we're on hour twelve of yeah, Firewatch. Just joining us. <laughs> the beginning of the episode is at the start of this. Oh, uh, we are talking Stupid. about <laughs> Gremlins from 1984. Um, uh, so. Full disclosure, I love this movie right off the bat. I saw this movie as a kid long before this show was ever a blip on my radar. And so we'll get that out of the way as I feel a little bit biased in that I, I really like this movie. Um, but at some point in time, you saw this movie before. Today was the second time or Correct. have you seen it more than that? Nope, two times. Just two times. Both times with you. <laughs> okay. And really, really wondering why I chose the second viewing. Yeah. I had forgotten more than I thought. Yeah, a good time though, right? Oh, no. No, I did not... Re listeners, I did not have a good time. It, it is not a fun movie to watch anymore. It, I, I think the sobering moment for me... And I know Kyle's trying to get into the synopsis, but I just... I have to say it ahead, and I'll hit back on it later, is about three-quarters of the way through this movie, they're all just... The, the gremlins, the titular gremlins, are just tearing up shit in a movie theater. And I realized, I'm watching the Minions movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's, it's only it's like a half step difference between they speak a barely little bit of English, they cause weird chaos, they repeat the same phrases over and over, and and my stomach turned and I went, I fucking hate this movie now. Are you sure, that wasn't because you were hungover. Now you talked about like it inspired these other movies that came after it, and that's bullshit. Those are just sort of similar. It inspired the Minions. Oh well, yeah. Th this this led to a, I feel like you could a follow chittering like broken english speaking phrase repeating chaotic kind of cute but slapsticky cute but weird indestructible and yet magical <laughs> annoyance that appeals to children for some not like not like in the movie sense like in the universe children are into like the mogwai they think it's cool and not creepy as shit like they should tell me about your childhood did you have a lot of toys? Yeah. A lot of soft, I was a cuddly single child. I was, a, I was an only child. I had everything. Everything <laughs> I wanted and more. And for some reason, you just didn't flock to what might have... Oh, well, wait. What, what year were you born? 
But did you think I was a child in 84? You were 19. You were born in 1989. I was born in 89. Okay. I was negative five years old when yeah. this movie came out. So it was beyond irrelevant by the time I was a child. well past the you know zeitgeist uh, by the time you were born. Yeah. Okay. No, I lived a blissfully minions-free childhood. It was, you know, after things like this. And right before... You know, I would say I stopped being a child a few years before Despicable Me came out and ruined the hellscape of modern cinema. I just wonder if anyone else finds that as interesting as me, that it's a really small difference that you were born in 89 and Gremlins, it didn't matter to you, and Gremlins 2 didn't matter to you. I was born in 1991 and Gremlins 2 was huge for me. In 1991, Gremlins 2 had been out for a year, and all the toys were still there, and the movies were going to come out on VHS, like, by the time I was, you know, one. Uh, and somehow, I couldn't have watched it that early, but from 91 to 97, you know, during my childhood, I somehow got Gremlins Typically, fever. the answer is your dad was into it maybe, or something. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Because, like... But no, my parents... Bluntly, kids don't choose their interest that much at age three. That's another really interesting thing. That's something I've found from this podcast, talking to a lot of people, that their foyer, f- foray into horror, their foyer into horror... Their foie gras into horror? <laughs> it, the, into horror is um, uh, either a sibling or a parent. Like, somehow, they didn't seek out horror and then, you know, stay with it. It was uh, imparted upon them. It's like beer. <laughs> it's like a lot of books um and i didn't i can't remember what the first movie like maybe my parents showed me or because it wasn't a sibling i i do have a sister but i'm the older um yeah so i can't i i don't know where i got my horror interest but i it's there because i did love gremlins and i and i remember but going that's back. not a horror movie that's true it's you like just soft like the horror fun kids movie it's yeah. a fun kids movie of course you should like it as a kid so that's a nice segue because this is as i mentioned before the uh, or after the break or before the break a horror family fantasy comedy officially all four of those genres Executive produced by Steven Spielberg. You can kind of feel the Steven Spielberg-y, like, family feel to this movie. It's got some, like, you know, bum-bum-bum-bum-bum scenes of people just, like, going around town. Some, like, like A solid third of it is just characters doing weird, like, puppets doing like weird shit. Rock- oh, well, that, I know. I'm just trying to, like, set the idea of Steven Spielberg films and how this falls into that. Because he didn't so direct it. Oh, okay. You think I mean, Steven Spielberg's was, are mostly e. puppets? <laughs> what? What? Oh, okay, so you think Steven Spielberg movie... I'm sorry. No, I don't think you Steven believe... Spielberg movies are puppet movies. Oh. What are you, what are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, Ra- Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love the fucking puppet work in it. If that's what you believe, then I, as the host, I'm going to support that for no reason. Well, that's a bad idea. <laughs> you should stomp that crazy out. Is that something I'm supposed to do on this show? That if someone says something that I think is dumb, I tell them and disagree with them and we fight? That's a conversation, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I disagree. I mean, you could ask the well, question, why anything. are you so dumb? <laughs> that could be your follow-up question. Why are you so dumb? Like that? Why are you, why are you so dumb? Like that? So, yeah, this is a Steven Spielberg uh, executive-produced movie. There's, like, you know, little hints and nods all over the place. Like Derek mentioned, there's a stuffed E.T. at one point. Uh, like I mentioned, there's the Rockin' Ronnie? No, what was it? Rockin' Ricky Rialto. Uh, like Indiana Jones reference and things. In fact, Steven Spielberg himself makes a cameo at one point at the tech uh, convention as a man in a like futuristic recumbent bicycle. It's pretty fun. Um, let's see. So yeah, released on Friday, June eighth, nineteen eighty four. Uh, Gremlins. God, I'm gonna do that over and over again. Not Ghoulies. Gremlins was directed by Joe Dante at the at the ripe old age of thirty eight. 
<clears throat> Steven Spielberg had a relationship with Joe Dante because he had just uh, directed The Howling in 1981 and before that, Piranha in 1978. Uh, and since this came out in 1984, you probably wouldn't be surprised to hear that Joe Dante had a little bit of a lull in his career after The Howling. It's about a two to three year gap before getting the call from Steven Spielberg to say, hey, I got a new movie I want you to direct because Chris Columbus has this great script. Do you recognize the name? No. Chris Columbus? I mean, in 19... In Chris, Christopher Columbus? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, same, the same guy. No. Chris Columbus is a writer. Uh, he's actually done a lot through Hollywood, but I mostly know him as a director. He apparently wrote The Goonies, but I know him for directing Home Alone, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and the first two Harry Potter movies, um, Chamber, uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. That's why there's a huge tonal shift from the second movie to the third, which... Kind of also fits the books. You know, there's kind of an adult shift. Did you ever read the Harry Potter books? I did. Okay. Like, like many, many people, I read those books. And so I always I always say what I just said, but I realize it's canned. I didn't read the third No, I was going to call you out on it as soon as you <laughs> shut up, actually, and go, Kyle, you didn't read any of those books. Stop saying things like no, that. No, but there is a tonal shift in the movie. And yeah, I no, that's true. it reflects the books because the plot has to be the same, right? Which is dark. You know the idea of a book and a That's movie, right? <laughs> like... And sometimes the plot is not like they don't read the goddamn book as characters in the movie. This actually inspired a book by the same name. That's not. It inspired a book. It did, yeah. And it's not officially uh, the canon, but it's interesting. The novel written by George Gipe, who also did a novelization of Back to the Future. Um, offered an origin for the Mogwai. Oh, it's just Gremlins. a novelization? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's just some guy trying to make money on his favorite It's a fiction. novelization of the film that includes a prequel. Yeah, it's like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and stuff. You, know, you take something that people already liked, you add your garbage and to the front of it, and then it's not sell it back to idiots. It doesn't change anything. But so in the story, uh, which this, this perfectly ruins the Mogwai for me, in my opinion. <clears throat> Supposedly, Mogwai were created as gentle, contemplative creatures by a scientist on an alien world. However, it was discovered that their physiology was unstable. The end result was that only one in 10,000 Mogwai would retain their sweet, loving demeanor. The rest would change into creatures that the novel referred to as mischievous. The minority Mogwai are all but immortal by human standards, though Gizmo explains to Stripe that if he were to undergo the transformation himself, he would become like the others, short-lived and violent. This origin is unique to the novel, but is referred to in the novelization of Gremlins 2. No definitive origin for the Mogwai or Gremlins is given in either Gremlins film, and that's Wait, just the way I so like it. That, the point of that is there's a reference to it in the next made-up book he made up? The point of that is no, that no, no, there's no, no, no. A... it's like oh and that's confirmed because the next bullshit book I made up also says it. Oh, it wasn't written by him. The Gremlins 2 novelization was by uh, author David Bischoff. Oh, they're the same. The point still Wait, stands. That name actually seems familiar for some reason. Oh, anyway, really? Did yeah. he do some other novelizations that's that maybe terrible sci-fi I've read, I don't know. Probably. Um, so, written by Chris Columbus, directed by Joe Dante, executive produced by Steven Spielberg, and produced by Joe Dante's friend Michael Finnell, who did, who produced The Howling as well. There's three EPs, by the way. You're just cutting out the other two. Oh, that's right. Kathleen Kennedy was one of the others. Uh, I think she... W so Kathleen Kennedy owns uh, the, the, the wing or the, the branch of Disney that governs Star Wars right now. That's where that name is recognizable to me, at least. Uh, until extremely recently, she resigned and stepped down. And now I don't know who's in charge of it. But for a long time, she was the one pulling the strings. It was her uh, that... Is, it was she? It was her that... Huh? Keep going. Got to know more words. <laughs> it was she that uh, 
orchestrated the Rogue One like prequel story thing that we're still seeing the results of Solo, Rogue One, uh, prequel stories that take well not it. It was Kathleen Kennedy's genius idea to, you know, reinvigorate the Star Wars with expanded universe uh, instead of just sticking to a main storyline, which I'm so, all yeah, for. The stories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why she stepped down, though. But Kathleen Kennedy was another executive producer on this film. You're correct. Um, there was a third one whose name I will be remember. lost to history. Yeah. Um, distributed by Warner Brothers, which is what gives them all of the creative control. You'll find uh, Gremlins things in Warner Brothers owned parks. Uh, at Six Flags, they had uh, not a ride, but like a temporary kind of like maze experience. Um, and I was amazed to find out that there is a Warner Brothers movie amusement park. It's in Australia. Okay. It's the only amusement park in Australia. Uh, uh, let me see here. Do, 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 do. It, it, Sorry, you act, you're acting like I really should be blown away by the fact that, that was the thing. I was like, that's, uh, that's the thing. That was the thing. That Australia like, has a theme park. No, it's not that Australia has a theme park. It's that there's a theme park that I would love that exists in the world and is only in Australia. So it's called Warner Brothers Movie World in Oxenford, Queensland, Australia. The only amusement park in the whole AU. Uh, featured two Gremlins characters. Is that the Australian Union? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who the fuck is in the Australian Union? Uh, Australia and New Zealand. Those Kiwis are going to be pissed at you for saying that, but go <laughs> ahead. Um, there were two rides, Great Gremlins Adventure and the Gremlins Invasion that they've both closed down. Um, too many people died? <laughs> too many people died. It was a massacre. In line? In line. So, uh, back in uh, 1984, this movie, along with Steven Spielberg, uh, generated... Uh, I'm sorry... So Steven Spielberg was attached to it. Naturally, Warner Brothers was willing to give them a pretty hefty budget of $11 million, which most of went into uh, special effects and things. The cast honestly kept itself pretty tight by casting a nobody as the main lead. Um, Zach Galligan is Billy Peltzer. Yeah, the Peltzer family. Billy Peltzer played by a nobody first time. But when he came in and acted with Kate, played by uh, Phoebe Cates, she was like, oh, he's great. He was that nerdy guy. And she kept talking about him. They were like, well, their chemistry's good, so let's cast him. Oh, God. That's how it works sometimes. That's bad. It worked bad that time. He's not good. He's a lump. He's not good in this movie. He does nothing. <laughs> um, let's see. What I mean, else? I'm glad they saved the money. The creatures uh, are credited by uh, Chris Wallace or Wallace or something. W-A-L-A-S, uh, who designed all these creatures. Wallace. W-A-L-A-S. Wallace. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the music by Jerry Goldsmith, who won himself a Saturn Award for Best Music. I think the music has a fun, like, it, it does a good job of mixing, like, the horror and comedy elements in an oral fashion. Oral being A-U-R-A-L, not oral. Oral. You're not going to spell the second one, just to make it super clear? Don't so, don't waste any more. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, ra uh, wrapping up really quick, trying to get to, uh, so we can talk about the movie itself. Um Horror comedy was on the rise at this time in 1984. Ghostbusters came out the exact same weekend, so there was a lot of market research going on, probably because of the success of these movies. 1981, American Werewolf in London, very popular horror comedy. Evil Dead, another horror comedy, 1981. Slumber Party Massacre, a movie that we did on here, 1982. Sleepaway Camp, 1983. Horror comedy is, uh, is a hot ticket item right now. Uh, right now? 
1984 is what I mean. Like, like I'm trying to set the stage, like yeah, the historical no, okay, context for what's going on. Ronald Reagan's president right now. We're listening the to act time after time. Yeah, we're listening to t- uh, and and uh, um, wake me up before you go go. Those are the top songs on the radio right now. Don't you love those songs? We're playing Duck Hunt at my friend's house and watching The Big Chill, Octopussy, Terms of Endearment, and Children of the Corn on video. <laughs> On four different TVs it's at the same time. That's a fun one. I should I should do that more often the way we, I just did it. Um, uh, and finally, uh, this is one of the first movies that capitalized on f- like marketing toys and fast food and uh, like in a way that people didn't expect. You know, uh, what am I saying? No, what was there Happy Meal toys with Gizmo on it or something? Yeah, that they what made Gremlins cereal, yeah. action figures, trading cards, and a major fast food toy campaign at Carl's Jr. and Hardee's, uh, which made a ton of money as well, mostly because the perceived cuteness of uh, the Mogwai and the cuteness of, you know, teeny Gremlins when they're not tearing you to shreds and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it probably led the push. We don't see that as much anymore. Brands tend to stay a little farther away from kids and fast food advertising. Yeah, mostly because of the implications of, like, you're just trying to make our kids fat by There's also a legal regulation that stops them from doing it. Oh, there's, there's a law? Oh, okay. I mean, not I don't know each country, but they, they vary. So, as we all know, or maybe some of the listeners may know, this movie inspired uh, one sequel, uh, Gremlins The New Batch in 1990, that takes place in a big high-rise, and all the Gremlins get, like, powers, and it's just, it's completely kooky. And if you think this one had some silly elements, that one, there's, like, no dark comedy. There's no dark in it at all. It's all comedy. But we're not talking about Gremlins 2, The New Batch, on today's episode. We are talking about Gremlins 1 from 1984. And so, without further ado, let's go into the recap. Gremlins tells the story of the Peltzer family. Rand Peltzer is an inventor down on his luck. Uh, It's checking the streets of Chinatown for potential salesman opportunities. Um, Like, I want to be detailed in this opening part, at least, uh, because, you know, it's like there's basically three movie beats that I want to be super detailed with. Because you're I didn't cut me, you off yet. You're I knew me like, you had oh my some plans, so I'm letting this. you just get through it. Don't explain why you're getting yeah, through it. Yeah, I want you to jump oh on, Oh, my too. God. Say the points, and then I'll jump okay, in. Okay, anyway. So, uh, Ran, Randall Peltzer, uh, played by... Um, no, we don't care. Well, it's a, oh, you care. I guess it's yeah, an important part I want to make sure the, the like if any other people out there who recognize Hoyt Axton go, Oh, that was Hoyt Axton as Rand uh peltzer so rand peltzer is the father of the peltzer clan he is an inventor he makes enough money to sustain them somehow um and uh he is in chinatown and uh he finds himself or no a little kid is leading him to a place where his grandfather the weird part is he's clearly met the kid ahead of time yeah like he's been following him for a while he's like this isn't where your grandfather's shop is. And he's like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, oh, they've had a rapport. He, he like medicated at an airport and the kid went, Hey, <laughs> you want to go back to my grandfather's shop? And he's like, well, and the guy was like, okay. I guess <laughs> I'm not doing anything like that's And then at the end of the day, he went there ostensibly to shop around. And then he instantly just goes into a sales pitch instead. And then he ends up buying something anyway. So that's what makes Very me confused. Think, man. Yeah. Was, was he always trying to sell? Was he always going into places pretending to be interested in selling, or is that his pivot in case he doesn't find anything in a store he doesn't like? Both. I mean, yeah. probably the first one, honestly. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who schemes. No, well, he's, he makes a lot of money to, like I said, sustain no, his family No, he doesn't make a somehow. lot of money. They have a piece of shit house that's, like, falling apart in the middle of poor town. 
like yeah what? and there's the so son works China i think too town. he works all day at the freaking bank and so does the mom how do you think the dad is making enough money to support shit i forgot about that i forgot the so, whole town is like ludicrously impoverished so which is bizarre for a 1980s where is movie Chinatown? because it's like my conception of the 80s is like this roaring economic decade for america and only once do they have an 80s guy come in played by judge reinholt and <laughs> yeah. like do his big 80s guy i'm making the money see thing and then he just kind of disappears that doesn't really explain like this whole movie is just this weird like small town america anxiety that oh things are changing so we're gonna have a hard time but it won't commit to ever even like barely saying what the problem is or why it's unavoidable except for that one anything. guy who thinks it's all foreigners and hates foreigners because he was in world war ii and all that he's yeah, the only he's one like that gives the, us a the name pathetic like barely an effort oh, he's at, like, an justifying this like ongoing anxiety that the town has but yeah yeah so he goes to Chinatown. He's a traveler, so it could be Chinatown, San Francisco. It could be Chinatown. I don't know, but he goes to Chinatown. Buys, uh, goes there, realizes there's nothing here. Tries to sell the guy, uh, the bathroom buddy, which is a piece of crap, but comes up every now and then. But he hears a sound, and he goes over to the box, and inside the box is something singing. And uh, I'm sure you know what's going to happen. The guy, he he initially, uh, the old man, the grandfather initially won't sell it to him, says, no, can't sell it. Too much responsibility. But then the kid says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We really need the money. I love this. The Why would someone do this is always answered by, well, they really need the money. The kid obviously didn't know how dangerous the Mogwai was. But he knows all the rules. That's right. He's the one that tells him. He like, still tells him all okay, the rules. Sir. He clearly knows all of the like things that you have to do. He just has no idea what would happen if you don't. And so part and parcel to Gremlins, there are three very important rules when you take home a Mogwai. Light. They are very susceptible to light, especially sunlight. It will kill them. So don't let them be in bright lights. Water. Don't ever, ever get them wet. But the most important... Under no circumstances should you ever feed your mogwai after midnight. All, all three of the rules are so incredibly stupid. Yeah, let's go. Let's break it down. So, I mean, number light. one, okay, it's not like Earth has like a, a lot vampire. of sunlight or anything, but you know, fine, fine. We'll just ignore the fact that there's almost no situation in which there's no light. These shit like don't live in caves. Even the room he's in at the Chinese guy's store is way brighter than like it should be for his comfort. Anyway. <laughs> repeatedly they do that well, he's like in that and box yeah they also commit what i like to call the signs problem of having aliens come to earth and be weak to water when it makes up like a majority of our atmosphere and covers 70 percent of the planet and it's like oh the thing that kills them is humidity here it's like the thing that transforms them is humidity that thing that is very very difficult to yeah. find i so, mean mind you, it's not humidity but they they don't really clarify how much water is enough well that's what i love is that they explain in the first rule the result of it so you know what not to do oh light kills it got it don't get it wet just don't just don't do it you don't want to know that's true only the first rule rule gives you a reason for why not to do something so that's why these people are inevitably breaking the second two because it's like well what's the problem well, because there's no way you'd know what two and three do and sell it. You would assume it's like, oh, well, you don't want it to get fat. You don't want it to get sick. I like, mean, and also, just beyond, it must just be altruism, because there's no reason why the Chinese guy hasn't just killed Gizmo. <laughs> That's a huge question that I want to get to later. I is, mean, he must be functionally immortal, because otherwise, 
you'd have to try to just destroy this bane this it, demon that a, could end humanity it, it's essentially that's 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 the headcanon that i like to imagine that it was placed here by like a trickster god or something and it will long exist beyond the earth after it's over and will roam you know just making songs to itself so uh the the creature that he buys rand peltzer he brings it home to his family his son billy and his wife uh, his adult son billy <laughs> the kid's like, I think he's supposed to be playing like 15, and the actor's probably like 22. And it, it, it's ridiculous because he does like this, oh boy, howdy routine when he gets a freaking gift from his dad. And it's like so out of character for even a teenager to he's care like, this much about something. He already has a dog. He takes the dog to work. He works as a bank teller, and he takes the dog there every day and gets threatened, I assume every day, to not bring the dog to work. His, his boss and uh, the Judge Reinhold guy are like, oh, you shouldn't have that dog in here. Like, this is the first time it's ever happened. He has a hook under his desk that he ties it to. So I it's know. clearly not the first time. And even the old woman. So this old woman, um, played by uh, uh, Polly Holiday, uh, Mrs. Deagle, is just like... In these family movies, they give us a antagonist that's so evil... That we don't, we're almost rooting for her to die. But Kyle, the weird part is she's not an antagonist to any of our main characters. No, she's just... That's the thing. The only meet, she's an antagonist to some nameless woman with her children out front of the bank who she's like foreclosing oh, on her house. Oh, she's a monster to them. There's that. But outside of threatening Billy's dog, which, I mean, she goes way over the top. She's with like, I'm going to torture it slowly slow to death. torture. But mind in you, public. it did jump over the counter at a bank into her face. It, it's a little unreasonable. I'm not saying she gets to torture his dog to death. I'm just saying she has a valid complaint with Billy. Is her valid complaint substantiated by cutting everyone else off in line and stopping no, right the No, everyone else should hate her. I'm just saying, as far as an antagonist goes, she never really antagonizes anyone in our main family. That's true. If anything, she's the hero of her own story. She's got all her cats. Uh, what else could she want? She goes around town taking people's she money. She literally and never complains death. that she wants anything else. She actually seems pretty happy at home still. <laughs> of course she's happy. She's the richest woman in town. She's taking everyone's money, apparently make like Okay, so this town, it's supposed to be like any town USA, this small like Americana uh uh who's that painter? Norman Rockwell like kind of town out of the eighties. But the people like you were explaining earlier, like they don't Like no one is making enough money. Which is like, okay, we're trying to portray like, poor. economic anxiety. I understand that. But with, like I said, it's so toothless because it's a family movie that it can't ever explain like, oh, it's because like the factories have shut down or, oh, it's because the landlord bitch lady won't like cut our rent and she's just raised it for the last 10 years. Like there's no attempt to like give any context any for why, like, reason why every teenager in this town has needs a job. two jobs <laughs> to like stay alive. Yeah, Kate has two jobs and she well, apparently... she doesn't get paid for the second one. Oh, that's right. She just does it like that's the, like, the whole thing is like this whole like small town America vibe of it's enough that we're all just in it together. We're just trying to survive. And like in this make town it of along. 50. Yeah. And it's like, it's sort of played admirably. 
but it's it's tired. It's a weird theme, yeah, of the like small town mentality. It's what kind of feeds in at the end during the news report. It's like, oh, sources just talked this up to mass hysteria because it's you know these insulated small towns. It happens like Jonestown, you know, is like a town that just disappears off the map. Isn't that the one that I they don't all killed think, themselves? I don't think you know very much about Jonestown. Isn't Jonestown the one? It's where... the one where they killed themselves, yeah. but it doesn't disappear off the map. They went to South America to found. Oh, Jonestown. am I mixing two? Which one am I thinking of? Where all the people just vanished? Where it was like an entire compound. Roanoke? Is that no, no, it was more recent, like where they had like footage, they were like helicopters and it's like everyone's gone. What? Yeah, there was some I remember watching like a nineteen nineties or nineteen eighties news report of this cult of people that were there were hundreds of them living in like these, you know, giant tents and things, and then one day all gone. The no, that there, sounds the like that there, sounds like a creepy pasta you're mixing with real life. That's not something that happened. Okay, well, it's chilling, isn't it? It's chilling. I, I, I'd be <laughs> like terrified if that people, happened. It, like, what in my country mind, did that happen in? I think it was America. But in my, when I heard that, my mind was, it's like that's part of the cult. Is like, okay, one day we shed all physical things that say we're part of the cult, and we assimilate back into society, and you know, until something. And I was like, "Ooh, that's creepy!" Like they all no. See that that presupposes like that cults exist to like bring together rational people towards a means and ends, and not a way to exploit the craziest and like most vulnerable of our society into paying you money. You could make them sleeper agents. You could say, "No, like, you can't, Kyle. They are batshit insane. They believed that your cult was real. You can't make them into anything. If lucky, if you can make them like wear clothing that day." That's a good point. Cultists are not healthy people. They should seek help. So, Rand Peltzer comes home. He brings the gift to his uh, wonderful family. Uh, Billy opens the gift, and inside is Gizmo. The first instance that we see of seeing this cute little thing that P calls a mogwai. A mogwai? That's some Chinese word. It's not cute. <laughs> it's not cute. It's fucking weird. Its eyes are so- okay. Like there's this supposed to be this. It's universal- a Furby. It's just Furby. It looks like yeah, a Furby, it's Furby before Furby. Like, okay, without yeah. the beak. Yeah, I'm not saying that Furby ripped it off. It, it even has the beak. Oh, it 100 ripped it off. I I believe Furby. Oh, no, I, take no, the I'm arms just, off. I'm saying Gizmo, cr- chronologically. Furby. I want to make sure I'm not saying a stupid thing. I know no, Furby Fur- was in the I know 90s. Furby came after. Is yeah. all I'm saying. I'm just saying. No, I believe the Furby beak, ripped even off. Even the beak on Furby looks a shitload like the mouth on Gizmo, which is this weird little like squid beak during half the scene anyway with like yeah it's no lips it's just this weird like mass of um it's hideous it's so fucking hideous every time there's supposed to be this universal standards of cuteness uh tiny head big feet big eyes this is just gross to look at no, it's the whole time. giant head big eyes i don't eyes. know if i'm jaded like, but this thing just i wouldn't want to cuddle with it and they are instantly enamored so in love with it like <laughs> this kid this, this, is, is this adult this adult man monkey. who goes by billy still because yeah, that. William Peltzer, but he goes uh, by Billy. Yeah. Opens a box, sees a horrifying disfigured monster creature, and is not only it. like generally interested in it, not at all alarmed, and then just picks it he goes, Can I pick it up? And his dad goes, I don't see why not. I, don't see why I not. can see a fuck ton of reasons <laughs> why not. You bought it in the back of a Chinese store. You bought it in the alley from a kid who sold it to you for cash only. It's something you've never seen before, and you have been given magic rules about it. And one of them was not, it's okay to pick it up. Yeah, you don't so, know. It was in his box for all you know, it's radioactive. I can think of a lot of reasons why not. Um, You're not even supposed to pick up like lizards. And yeah, they're just regular like things. Yeah, there's a lot of animals you like can't just pick up. Turtles you're not up. supposed to pick up. Uh. 
I don't see why not. So the way people react to the Mogwai and the uh, gremlins and things in this movie makes me think that there's like a gas leak throughout the town that everyone's experiencing or something because they are just unfazed by everything or like there's Xanax in the water. The police get to see it and they're like, oh, it's fine. It's kind of weird. It's so funny. This town has like, yeah, the 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 police chief who's like well above everyone else and tries to get free things all over the place. So Billy thinks it's great. They try to take a flash picture and that's when the dad's like, oh yeah, there's some rules. And he tells them, you know, don't, no bright light. Uh, and that's the thing I love about um, Gizmo is when he gets bright light shown on him, uh, he goes, bright light, bright light. Which is the first time where we know that it can suddenly speak and understand well, like, it human sing. concepts. Yeah, and that's how we learn like it's super sentient. It's teaching Billy to sing its song. And when Billy plays a wrong note, it's like, no, 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 this is the right note. And then it pushes the note and it's like, and Billy's he's like, not huh. even phased. He's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Doesn't even like care. as if his dog has been composing music with him up till now. And now it's like, oh, I guess this is better. Like, oh, it rolled over. Hmm. Like, even then you would be more excited. It, it, it is fully sentient. And he's just, like, mildly interested in it. Uh, the Which Gizmo... pales, still pales in comparison to the mild interest we see. Yeah, seriously. Uh, really quick, Gizmo's played by Howie Mandel. There's a lot of voice actors throughout this movie, and I'll Gizmo's name them as they come up. Gizmo's played times by Howie Mandel. Is he the only voice of yeah, him? Yeah, he's the voice of Howie Mandel, which is kind of funny, because Howie Mandel is Howie Mandel, and he does this... Like singing yeah, thing. it's like it's not really to Howie Mandel's credit. It's a voice that literally anyone could anyone do. could do. Like, why did you cast someone to do that? Just right have on. your fucking sound guy make it up. I feel like that's what they do now. Is they'll just have like their kid or their friend, or they'll do it themselves. And yeah, because it's just cheaper. It's always cheaper. Um, so yeah, Howie Mandel plays Gizmo. Corey Feldman plays uh, Billy's best friend, who's like nine years no, he, old. Like, it's not even clear that he's his best friend. Like he comes over to deliver something, to deliver and then, the like tree. comes in the house, and then just hangs out for the rest of the movie. Uh, hangs out. He comes up because he wants to see these comic books. He's like, oh wow, these are you, you got these number ones. Completely ignoring Gizmo, so that when Gizmo finally starts making noise, oh Corey's super into. I'm not gonna stop. I gotta stop calling him Corey Feldman. I don't want to stick to it. His name's Pete. So uh oh, Pete gets it wet bunch of tiny little tribble pop out and start inflating apparently were balloons covered in fur because it's a pretty cool effect as they inflate and there is i think six or seven new mogwai and they're really annoying and really chittery and and gizmo seems to hate them right away but billy thinks this is a great opportunity to bring them to the school scientist to get some information on them nope that's the worst part. He doesn't oh, even actually bring any of them <laughs> to the scientist he brings gizmo to the scientist and then immediately puts water on him just to make he another says, one pop out. He says, watch this. After last night, listening to his cries of pain. Um, and Corey Feld, uh, Pete, after seeing them like all inflate and grow, he's like, huh, that's cool. Goes back to reading comic books and thinks 3D comic books are more interesting than this brand new creature that apparently evolves by budding. Uh, or uh, reproduces by budding. So yeah, he takes the uh, creature to he takes Gizmo to the scientist. Says, "Watch this." Gets him wet so that he pops a new one, and then leaves that new one for the doctor to take blood sample. Not a doctor, sorry. He's the school scientist. He teaches like sex ed or physics, or he's teaching he's like the blood at some something. point. It, yeah. it doesn't. Or bio. He's teaching. Yeah, it must bio. be bio because yeah. he deals with blood. The only um, teaching we see him doing is putting on a movie for his <laughs> class, by the way. Yeah. Like, he's not a substitute, and he's just showing a movie. That's not good teaching. That's pretty lax. Then they go back to Billy's house. Billy accidentally feeds them after midnight. That's right. The gremlins trick him. He's uh, looking at the clock, and it says 11.45, so he's like, eh, it's not after midnight, which once again throws these questions like, what is after midnight? Um, 
But yeah, the clock shows eleven forty-seven, which and, is and he before. goes downstairs and gets chicken, an entire plate of chicken, mind, fried chicken. I know he goes, oh, it's still not midnight, but eleven forty-seven's a little bit close. Because what if it takes starting. them a while, or what if it's like on a slight, like my clock's a few minutes slow, and like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I thought about it, like clock? they're they're sentient and intelligent. And Enough. He just, he just throws the chicken in there and leaves it. They can just keep a fucking drumstick and eat it twenty minutes later. Yeah, like there's absolutely no reason why their little clock scheme that I'm sure you're going to explain is necessary when he just hands them the food and they're smart enough to hide it. That's a good question. Do they no, know what no will happen? <laughs> Do are they aware of what will happen and they're trying? They seek it out. Or is it just because they're hungry and no, gluttonous? They, trick, they wouldn't do that then. Like, they trick him into feeding them after midnight for that reason. Like, we, mind you, you say they're gluttonous, but we've literally never seen them request food they or do. eat they're food. Like, hey, no, like... that's the only time they request right. food. Otherwise, it seems like it's they don't It's not like they seem eat. like they want to eat or they're even, like, You're the, right. one of the rules is, oh, they're, they're so, even if he cries and begs, don't feed him. I kept expecting to at least see one scene where Gizmo fucking cries or begs for food after midnight. Never. You're Never right. even tries. There's zero. Like, if it was just Gizmo, there's no reason you have to give people the rules. He actively tries to follow them himself. And everyone around him is actively trying to break them. Like, it's like you, left to his own devices, yeah, he exactly. would be perfectly safe. And uh, so that raises another point. Uh, they got water on him. It's snowing throughout this movie. It's Christmas town. It's Christmas time. It's like Christmas Eve, and there's snow everywhere. Snow, listeners, spoiler alert, is frozen water. One scene is literally raining. It, it's unforgivable <laughs> it's not in snowing. my mind. It's where it's like rain. it's a scene where there's a gremlin hot wiring a freaking stoplight, yeah. and it's like first of all, whatever. Which is on super that. easy to do, but it's raining. It is visibly raining, and I'm supposed to just go, "Oh, that's not water." Why? Why even include that terribly shot, dumb, pointless joke? So the most important thing that happens before all hell breaks loose, we really are. I, I want to try just like chugging this away. Uh, That's is, why I try to do it in like four sentences know, because I it's know. just a distraction. I, I really got to. I really got to try. Um, so uh, the town alcoholic uh, is getting kicked out of the bar by Kate, and he mumbles uh, something about you know the one kind of mythology that we could uh, tie back. He says. Um, he mentions uh, that he was in World War II, and he says that foreigners planted gremlins in the machinery, the same gremlins that took us down in the big one, World War II. They put gremlins in everything, and he starts listing a bunch of technology things. That's real, apparently. Uh, it was mostly in Britain uh, in World War II, but it was like kind of a joke, but also kind of like you know, like uh, when technology, when planes, yeah. uh, misfires, when something wasn't working, they were going, oh, they, they, they put gremlins, the gremlins in it. They yeah, put gremlins yeah, yeah. in it, yeah. And it inspired the the Twilight Zone thing of there's a gremlin on the plane like that's that's a thing and it might it might even still be a thing like for pilots and stuff. Um, so uh, as he mumbles that, uh, w- I, I want to get to the the the, the pods. How, how does how does that happen? That's right, they ate after midnight. Thank you. So by so this is rule number one: if you break it, they die. Rule number two: if you break it, they multiply. Rule number three: if you break it, they like evolve what would what would the word yeah, be? transform the right word. yeah transform evolve applies it's like a better version of them but i guess it is they they're it more is. violent it's in every way better it's so yeah as, it's as intelligent it's just more violent more ruthless and more capable so they make sure to hammer at home that this is the pupa stage when uh you break the third rule there's apparently some time where you can maybe torch them or just kick them or squish them where they're in this pupa and they're just so interested in them he's like mom take a look at this and these gross pods uh eventually they pop open 
open, but he's not home when uh, uh, Billy's not home when they do. Uh, when they pop open, uh, the mom is the only one home. Billy calls home to tell her, uh-oh, because he g- decides to go back to f- check on the scientist, the doctor guy. The scientist uh, at the school got killed by the first, uh, that was the first one that ate after midnight, ate one of his sandwiches that he left there at like 2.30 in the morning. Okay, sorry, I have to stop you because you said that so badly. Did I? It's, I'm sorry. I'm really confused Say and I've watched the movie. Okay. So, Billy goes back to see the scientist who has a gremlin that was left with him after Billy multiplied Gizmo there. That gremlin eats after midnight, turns into a gremlin, kills the scientist. Billy sees that, realizes that the ones at home must have hatched, calls his mom, and then they cut the line while he's calling her. Thank you. Sorry, it's not that you did it badly. No, it's just, I really I appreciate really that. Confused, that was like, really good. There's, I used too many pronouns. There are like three he's in that scene and I messed it up. No, it's just chronologically you went from most... I did go backwards. Uh, into, yeah. There yeah. Um, so now mom's alerted to the threat um, and she grabs her kitchen knife because she was in the middle of making cookies. And that's where we get downstairs to the first really good shot of it is it biting the head off of a cookie. And how tall would you say they are? They're pretty menacing. Like, I would be afraid. It's They're like, like two, as big as two a monkey. And a half feet tall. It's like a chimp size. Yeah. yeah a little bit smaller but than they're, a chimp. They're maybe, maybe a macaque. <laughs> a macaque? Yeah. Um, they're scrawny, but they have big giant claws. They've got weird bat ears. I want to explain just for the listener if they've never seen what a gremlin looks like and you don't feel like Googling it. It's like a bat-winged... It's the thing on the art for this uh, episode. <laughs> no, the thing on the art for this episode is the tiny box of oh. the hands poking out of it because the trailer, I mean the poster, um, the marketing for it did a really great job. They never showed the Mogwai or the gremlins. You'd had to go see it. They just, you know, they probably were really scary. So anyway... Or Mom... go buy a Burger King toy. Yeah, exactly. So mom, uh, Carl's Jr. or Hardy's. So mom comes down. Wait, are you, no, you're sure it's Carl's Jr. Sorry, I do have to interrupt for this. Because the intro of this movie, there is a massive centered framed shot of a Burger King sign yeah. for a solid five seconds. And there's you're telling me that they partnered with the direct competitor of the guy they featured in the intro of their movie. That's what my research says, yes. Distasteful. Continue. Um, I wonder how Burger King felt about it. I'm sure after a while they'd spread out to McDonald's. Well, McDonald's probably wouldn't associate it with that stuff. Um, where was I? Grim. Okay, so I love this scene. Um, a lot of time in movies, uh, the women in horror movies, especially the women, are portrayed as like uh, damsels in distresses, and they need to be saved by the men, or they need to be. Uh, I don't know, like, circumstances have to make them either safe or they get killed by the monster. Mom takes her own agency into her hands in the form of a big, giant kitchen knife. And, stri- well, so she puts one in, like, a blender, or one's already in a blender, and it gets all chopped up in a really gross way. She straight up stabs one in the chest. She throws one in the microwave in a pretty iconic scene that caused some controversy at the time. A lot of parents believe that it would encourage kids to test it with their own pets. I'm sure some did. But what are you going to do? movies exist um did you have any thoughts on that no i do have a thought on that because it fucking explodes so what were the kids expect like if you they went, would expect their pet to explode well then and when it didn't then everything just then everything kind of goes as explained like it's not like any kid went oh i'm gonna put my hamster in the microwave because hamsters like that gremlins taught me that no 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 they were gonna put it in there to kill it yeah that child was going to kill that hamster virtually no matter what their intent in doing that was to kill their pet as an attorney i'm not gonna blame your- gremlins on teaching kids that microwaves are lethal no just like Like, as as a rule of thumb i don't think you know art video games movies can really be blamed for the violent tendencies that already exist in a in an unstable person 
Yeah, like if you're going to microwave a living creature, I don't think seeing it in a movie is the only reason you're going to do something like that. But, you know, moms against uh, evil films, there's always going to be, there will always be people who think that their kids are, (laughs) what does the acronym spell? Moms against MEM. Mom against evil films. No, yeah. Moms against MELF. Yeah, it's MELF. Or no, it's, um, so uh, the gremlins are in full force and they have like a weird semi leader uh, in the form of Stripe. He's uh, right when he was a mogwai, he had a mohawk. And when he turns into a full on gremlin, it's like this uh, pronounced white mohawk that, you know, makes him uh, obvious. If there is an antagonist for this movie beyond the gremlins in mass, it's uh, Stripe, who I hope I don't keep calling Spike. Uh, one of the gremlins goes through the community pool. I think it's Stripe. Uh, and Billy follows him there. Stripe jumps into the pool. Did and... you happen to catch why he follows him there? Or how he knew that's where he was going? No, I, I didn't. I no idea. I don't know how he knew he was there. He has the sword that he saved his mom with. Billy comes home and eventually saves his mom and takes her next door. She's not in the rest of the movie. I can only assume she's safe at home with the neighbors. But Billy then goes to the community pool for no reason. Who told him to go there? Where does he think I have is... no idea. Did he just know, oh, that's the pool, I should guard it? I mean, it's a small night? town, but again... It's a YMCA. Every single inch of the ground in it is covered with water. Oh, because yeah. it's covered in snow. Yeah, because it's snow, so and it's the gremlin like, had to get there in I, snow. They look reptilian, but mm. they can still make friction heat if they want to, to make water out of snow. Do you mean do reptiles not absorb water? Oh, they're cold. Well, they won't really mean. melt the snow, because right. they don't have a... I mean, would, they'll just die. Yeah. Um, so... So they're clearly not reptilian, because they would just fucking die. So when he jumps in the water... Also, they can't be in the sun, so I guess that would make it hard to warm yourself. Because they're not cold-blooded, or if they are, they have no reason to want Well, if they're cold-blooded, then they have a very short lifespan option, (laughs) because, yeah. Seriously. Maybe they do. It seems 24 hours, otherwise they have to hide indoors. So... He does a cannonball in the pool, and that's a big moment for the movie because you're uh, there's like this big uh oh moment where it starts happening and the bubbles start coming and there's lights. There's always they produce a lot of light when they uh, multiply for no reason. Um, I guess it's a lot of energy is going on, but uh, he bolts out of there. Billy and the dog. I forgot Billy. Uh, I mean, we already mentioned he has a dog, but what was the dog's name? Uh, so it starts with a B. Barney. That's right. Um, so. Chaos! Chaos finally breaks loose. The entire town is going crazy, and even though the town's going crazy, Billy goes straight to the police to tell them that, hey, there's some craziness going on. And the police don't believe him for one second. They're getting drunk. There's two Barney's not even there. Why did you bring up the dog? Because Barney was with Barney's with his dad. He's not at the pool. No, he's not. He's with his dad. That's a weird part that I don't get either. I'm I'm curious why even... But even even assuming... No, 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 no. I'm... I'm... (laughs) I'm having fun for a second. Okay. Even assuming Barney was at the pool with them, why in the hell did you choose that as the time to introduce Barney and have no effect to it and then move on to the police? <laughs> I... You're like, oh, and he has a dog. And then they go to the police I station. I remember that. The fuck was the relevance of the dog even if he's there? That's a little, okay. That's that's a little ADD of me. Sorry. Okay, so he might have a dog. I don't know. No, it doesn't no, matter, really. It doesn't matter, but that's a good point. Because <laughs> the dad is gone from the movie because he was at a tech convention, and there's a couple of moments where they No, you don't of... have time to do the tech I convention really... shit. You've <sighs> wasted way too much time on this recap to even get those in. Chaos is ensuing all over town. People are dying. It's 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 horrible. Uh Dick Miller, who plays Mr. Futterman and his wife, Mrs. Futterman, get bulldozed. There's a uh, gremlin driving a bulldozer straight through their house. And it's it's pretty, like, fridge horrific when he recognizes that it's the gremlins from his 
fever dreams and things from World War II right before he dies. And don't be mistaken for a second, they die. The police get a call right away after that. And that's kind of what shakes them into action. They drive to the house and well, see Santa it's a, being... it's a family movie. The police get a call that there's been an accident there. That's right. A horrible accident. No one accident. is confirmed dead because it's a family movie. You're right. You're right. But there was a horrible I'm accident. I'm pretty sure Santa is getting mauled to death and maybe on fire, but the he's police... not confirmed dead. Police don't care. They're, he's like rolling the window up as Santa's like clawing, <laughs> and uh, then they like turn their head to the right and they see the old woman, the uh, Mrs. Deagle, uh, lives in this mansion with all these cats, and she goes down the stairs with one of the. Does it, does it have an official name, or is it just a stair elevator? The for old chair, people. the chair that you mount on old stairs. Yeah, to old help lady. Old people go upstairs. Exactly. She comes all the way down, answers the door, expecting it to be carolers. She has a jug of water that she's about to throw on the carolers, but then realizes they're gremlins because which is a missed moment too, because she could have thrown the water on them, and then that would have been like, oh, really they fun. multiply because yeah. water. Nope, she just drops the water. She just drops it and runs back inside, thinking that they're demons coming for her. She's not ready. Meanwhile, another Clutches gremlin, at her chest, but never even gets close to having a heart attack. A gremlin. Um, messed with the so there's the theme of the gremlins messing with electronics they do kind of know some like instinctual way to oh, mess I with guess them that is kind of linked back to yeah that origin yeah so it's like they they hotwire to make it go <laughs> impossibly fast and like pick up speed as it's going up and up and up until she flies out of the front that's my favorite death because yeah she's the evil one that we're supposed to go oh good finally she goes flying out of her front the top story and then onto the floor the cops see that and yeah so chaos 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 Kate and Billy, who are the love interest uh, of this movie, are walking together, and Kate reveals why she doesn't like Christmas. She's always, in the first act, she was talking about, oh, you say you don't why? like... Why? One sentence. When Kate was a child, her father, uh, around Christmas time, was missing, and she didn't think much of it, and one day she decided to light, uh, after Christmas, she decided to light a fire, and then she noticed the smell. The fire department knocked down the fireplace to find not a squirrel or a crow but her father dressed as santa claus he'd broken his neck and died instantly committing the dumbest dumbest thing i've ever heard of of trying to actually go down an actual his daughter is 16 no she was nine said when it happened she was nine still too old still too old also not even fun like, even if, just walk in through the goddamn door. It's a nine-year-old exactly. who can fool them. Like, they're not going to go, ooh, you didn't come to the like, chimney. this is a real Darwin Award moment where we're supposed to really feel bad for her, but her dad just comes off as a massive idiot. Um, yeah, it, it's supposed to, it, it's an urban legend that, you know, you've heard before is like, oh, you know. Oh, it the, scares kids. It makes sense. Like, if you were. But it, like, it, guilts kids. Yeah, guilts like, kids and they're the ones that killed your parent. By your... Oh, come on, but that's the easiest way to scare kids is telling them that they're going to kill their parents. By believing in Santa. No, 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 just in general. Like, you can think father. of a ton of kids' stories and, like, children's stories and stuff that play with that, like, they're mentality. They're all cautionary that, tales. Like, it's your fault. Not even fault. cautionary of, like, even Frozen is essentially a story that has to start with. You know, your parents are dead. Now you have to deal with that is the existential horror of that. Yeah. It's a very common trope to make kids at least intimidated or engrossed and a little bit scared. It affected the rest of her life. It's not a bad bad trope to use, but it's really very common in kids and family movies to go, oh, it's your fault that your parents died. It's the fucking Lion King thing. It's such a dark moment in this movie that's like kind of been a really even dosing of comedy and horror things, at least horror imagery 
lots of just comedy though absolutely no reason for it either and it comes off as like i don't know if it's supposed to be funny or not or if it's just supposed to be dark because i take it as dark but you snark at it and i feel like yeah there is kind of something silly about it this horrific thing yeah it's it kind of colors the movie in a perfect way of like it's a dark family comedy and in that moment it's like it encapsulates the movie for me. It does. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't would know agree. What, I don't know whether I'd be super happy or super freaked out about this. Because, um, yeah, the chaos in town is pretty, like, we don't see people, you know, getting eviscerated or things, but people are running. There's gremlins on their heads. It's established early on that their claws are really sharp, and they can claw your face or your chest or all kinds of things. Not enough to, like, permanently kill you, but, yeah, anyway, so. Uh, as chaos is crazy, they're in the bar at uh, I skipped over that, but Kate was serving them at the bar uh, for like a ten-minute scene of just <laughs> oh my god, the whole scene stupidity on and the on whole and on and on. Just does that over and over. It's just scenes of a bunch of puppets doing wacky shit. Guess like, was on the dartboard. Oh, what if one was smoking like six cigarettes? Oh, what if like two of them hit beer glasses together and they broke? What oh, if one of what them if had one, puppets? Like, turned around and like fell off the table. <laughs> what oh if one god, shot it's the so other? Fucking tedious. After a while, it's just puppeteers jerking each other off to some extent it, it it was very very boring so we're ramping up to the end for no reason all of the gremlins literally all of them have congregated in a movie theater they don't know that the movie's playing they're just hanging out eating popcorn in the movie theater stripe sees a candy shop across the street so he's not in the movie theater when billy and kate set the place on fire all I, I guess all, all of the gremlins in there burn to death, die from either the heat or the light or both, but it's implied that that took care of the most of them. Now Stripe is the only one alive in, it's not a candy store, it's like a hardware store. It's a department store, they just say department <laughs> okay. store, but the whole window display is candy and stuffed animals. Yeah, but you go in. It's Christmas time, so that makes perfect sense I that you'd so. waste your... No, it doesn't. I'm being sarcastic. Who the fuck wastes window displays on candies and stuffed animals during Christmas? You push your expensive and holiday-branded crap. Did you work in uh, things Nothing like with that? A, nothing with a window display, but just okay. generally, it does not make any sense to me that middle of December, you have what looks like Valentine's Day garbage in your window. That's another thing, is the movie takes place in Christmas time, but this came out in June. So it was like a Christmas in, uh, in the summer kind of feeling. Which is uh, weird now that you mentioned that. What a weird release time. I guess just summer movie. Just popcorn movie. So in the uh, candy store slash department store, Billy and uh, Kate share their only kiss of the movie for, like, you know, luck or whatever. It's always some shoehorn thing. Um, And we get some shots of Stripe crawling around the stuffed animals. There's a stuffed E.T. There's a stuffed uh, Bugs Bunny. But anyway, final fight. Stripe finds a fountain and he's like threatening to jump into it. Like Billy's, his hands already getting wet. (laughs) But here's the thing that it takes. He puts one finger in it and that starts the process. And we're like, oh no, it's going to happen all over again. What are we going to do? Gizmo shows up in an RC car. That he's been driving for the last five goddamn minutes. We've had to see a literally like puppet of just stuffed animal quality driving around in a fake rc car like drifting oh my god it's so tedious yeah it's the most home alone bullshit garbage of just (laughs) exactly oh my god first of all it's just not that entertaining they don't even shoot it in a fun way where it's like oh look at the trick or something he's doing it's just a stuffed animal in a car that's driving around a dark room point a point b point b being a curtain rod or a, a drape like Pull string. Pull string. Uh, he flies the car up off of a, sh- a shovel as a ramp, grabs the pull string, and opens up the... Oh. Don't forget the car explodes. <laughs> oh, 
Does it? It explodes in the background. Oh, that's there. right. The he, he, car he, he doesn't explode. That's right. He doesn't make it. He he stays in the car crash, and you think like, oh no, what happened? But he's fine because he's apparently immortal. Then he grabs the drawstring, flies up to the ceiling, bonks his head, and the uh, uh, blinds open up, shedding light on Stripe mid uh, multiplication, and so he starts like bubbling up in a really gross way and like to like his eyes are falling his out and his of the skin basically. is falling off it's a really cool effect um and then he falls into the uh fountain and uh we assume he's dead uh rand peltzer shows up just in time to see this uh the dad um kate's there to hug billy and we're like oh it's over um but then spike comes out for one last scare and he's this gross skeleton that looks like it's still breathing somehow before it turns into just a puddle of goo that barney considers eating and then it's like nah i don't want this and uh and he leaves and then what's the final oh that's right so final scene the town is in ravages the news is throwing it up to uh uh, mass hysteria and uh, the grandfather, the old man who quote unquote sold the Mogwai to uh, Rand, shows up, just like appears in their house and uh, gives him back the money. Also, I don't know if they put him on stilts or shoes, but he's like seven feet tall. <laughs> Is he really tall? Well, it's like it's noticeable because they frame him in the center and he's just sort of a tall guy. But he's also supposed to be, like, this Chinese shopkeeper. So it's even stranger that he's, like, taller than everyone else in the scene. But I like that he has no I don't know accent. if it's intentional or if it's just a tall guy they cast. I like that he has no accent, but he just keeps hammering home. Aya! Oh, you have no responsibility. You have no responsibility. Aya! <laughs> it's like what it sounds like. Um, which I guess is good. You don't want it to be racist. I don't know. Uh, so he takes the thing away, says, you're not ready. You're not ready. But someday you might be. But you're not ready. I don't know if he means, like, people or Billy in specific. It's people. He means okay, humanity. Okay, humanity is not yet ready. Uh, and he leaves, and they give you one final thing. So it's like, always remember, you never know that there might be a creature crawling around your house. And if you do find it, don't let it get in light. Don't get it wet. And never, ever feed it after midnight. Because you never know when you might have a gremlin. La, 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 la. And then the movie ends. So that's the movie of Gremlins. I really like it. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's fun. So I think that was a good recap in that we kind of touched on the like things that I wanted to get uh, get into, which is kind of the themes. You already touched on the small town idea of, uh, like, I want to talk more about that. Like, typically in small towns, rumor spreads really fast. Uh, people gossip about each other. There are usually like small town urban legends and explanations for the unexplainable. Um, it's sometimes associated with, yeah, like, you know, not an, as highly educated uh, people who don't, I don't know. It's always like they're the backwater or they're the uh, small town. Yeah, but whatever. this isn't really classic backwater. Because, no. Well, first of all, it's not set in the south, so it's not classic backwater. I guess I'm, I was searching for the wrong word. You're right. Yeah. No, I am just mean like generally I don't disagree with the fact that they portray it as like a small town. It's just sort of a different small town. You were more on the nose with the Norman Rockwell kind of mm. small town where yeah. it's idyllic New England. It's not Yeah, nothing goes wrong there Georgia. it seems. Yeah. They don't it doesn't seem like there are ever any robberies. There's never any like, you well, there's know. There's two police. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> that we see. I hope there's not a lot of robberies. Um but so what does that speak to like uh the the idea of the movie? Uh small town ideas and this 
unknowable, unstoppable infestation, uh, essentially. Invasion, infestation, whatever you want to call it. But it, it... I'm not sure there's a linkage between those themes. You know, I think it's a... just a lazy, easy setting that connects to easily with your viewers without causing any real problem. I think It's not a city, so it's not urban too much. It's not country. It's not a fun... Like, anyone can kind of it relate to... Line. Like, oh, you have a house and you've been to a bank. Like, yeah. it doesn't have anything in its setting that is distinct or it would pull you out of just putting yourself in that very milk toast situation. Yeah, there's really there's really no establishing uh, line of like, well, this is a tradition that we always do. Like, there's it's no not weird... there's not a hyper religious town. It's not like uh, there's American no... values. Even it's not even like the racist guy is portrayed like as common or anything. Like, it's just sort of a really uncharacterized small town America in the Northeast. If anything, it just gives credence to well, why... Well, sorry. It's in the Northeast, but everyone has their Californian accents, of course. <laughs> it, oh, it's because it was filmed a lot in Universal Studios lot, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, which is interesting, because it's Warner Brothers distributed, but it was filmed on Universal Studios lot. Hmm. I don't know how that relationship works. Um, but uh, maybe the small town stuff just kind of speaks to why these, like, you know, kids and adults all work together and for each other and with each other no, and everyone point. in it town does. knows it's just, each other. It's just a lazy framing device to just kind of make, oh, that's why she can just go over to the neighbor's house because it's a small town. But why? Oh, that's why believe... he knows where she works. It's just a small town. Yeah. That's why you can just wander into the police station. It's a small town. That's why Mrs. Deagle is a popular... Everyone in town knows yeah, her. Yeah, she's just the known antagonist. It's a small town. Do you think that enhances the movie? Do you think this no, would have been lazy. better? It's lazy it was... as shit. I know. So do you think it would have been better if it was in a metropolitan area or even a city? No. Because it's not a movie that's supposed to be good in that way. <laughs> okay. And I don't mean that like it's like, oh, it's going to be bad. I mean, more of like, it's not looking to create a unique imaginative setting. It's looking to create a palatable family fun movie. Yeah. In which case, this With is the correct setting to do. shots. I think it's boring and lazy, but it's the right setting for when you're making this movie. You're right. It immerses the audience that you wanted, which is American family uh, yeah. moviegoers. Um, so this movie is a black comedy unlike home alone sorry home alone the movie where one man can apparently afford a 900 foot 900 room mansion where his child can stay and they don't even notice while the rest of their family shoot off 500 airplane seat oh my god they have like 13 that entire, kids that entire family just drives me batshit insane like he must have inherited so many trust funds to afford that house and take yearly vacations with his garbage family yeah seriously oh my god. yeah to these like amazing destinations yeah. like oh me and the 14 in-laws are going to hawaii oh that whole movie that whole series yeah, so this is a black comedy, and I feel like some of the black kind of comes out in Kate's character, who hates the holidays, and Billy just, like, can't even fathom of a reason why someone might be unhappy during the holiday Billy season. Billy can't fathom an emotion the entire fucking movie. <laughs> I'm yeah, pretty the sure only thing he could do is He doesn't interest. even react to her dad, like, crippling and dying in a fucking chimney. He's like, he just looks at her confused. He's not really listening. He's, like, investigating things around the area while she's telling that. Gizmo is focusing more on her, if anything. Um, yeah, so, like, depression on the holidays is touched on a little bit in the, in, like, Kate's thing, 
And but that's so... It, sorry, it it's is. so I'm small. Sorry, but it's so unrealistically depicted as the only excuse you have to be depressed on the holidays is if your dad died in your chimney. It otherwise, huge. fuck you, enjoy Christmas. Yeah, otherwise, what are you so sad about? Like, yeah. we... Even and even then, the movie treats her like she's still a little weird. Yeah, she should still just get with the program. In Christmas Town, where everyone loves Christmas and everyone's income is based on everyone how many loves trees Christmas, they sell. except everyone has garbage Christmas decorations. So there's no Christmas decorations in the entire <laughs> town, and I don't think I heard a single fucking Merry Christmas the entire movie. But you know, Christmas. So I mean, uh, instances of black comedy are abound with the gremlins uh themselves i don't know if there's that much black comedy i don't before know no, the there's no black comedy up. it's just spilling popcorn and spitting out beer is not black comedy it's uh, slapstick it's it's in like uh the way the mom I, I think it's like in the way the mom handles the gremlins like that's kind of she blenders one like i don't i guess that's dark comedy sort of like that is like the, the microwave is, one is dark comedy and i would Kate agree with serving that. them still is kind of comedic in the but that's slapstick it's not dark comedy there's nothing dark about her serving them fucking beers full of foam at a bar for 20 minutes is there one instance of something that you could think oh this is this is black comedy well the old lady flying out a window and oh dying yeah is yeah pretty like black that. comedy yeah but that's pretty on the nose yeah uh, i'm just arguing that the gremlins are more slapstick than black comedy oh and like the gremlins singing like, the if they were, like, torturing song? anyone maybe there's black comedy there but they don't even do that they're really not that menacing yeah like if they were torturing them in a silly way but the dude was still dying yeah, yeah. that's the thing this stays pg-13 you never this see this stays pg there's oh, nothing is it PG? PG-13 Is it really here. PG? I don't know what it's rated, but what the hell would make it a 13? Uh, the Also, was, think about how old you were when you saw it then. I don't know. I'm just would, trying Would to... your parents have let you watch a PG-13 movie? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because Steven Spielberg actually had a hand in the MPAA at the time. And this was one of the first movies that uh, pushed for the PG-13 rating despite what the MPAA said. <clears throat> Gremlins was a commercial success and received positive reviews, but the film was also heavily criticized for some of its more violent sequences. In response to this and similar complaints about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, specifically monkey brains, Spielberg suggested that the MPAA alter its rating system, which it did within two months of this movie releasing. So, <clears throat> uh, I missed my spot. So it released as a PG and then was upgraded to a PG-13 in later releases. Uh, along with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, also rated PG, Gremlins was one of two films in 84 to influence the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating. Um, so there's definitely a theme of responsibility in this film and, uh, being given something that, you know, you may or may not understand the ramifications of. Yeah, like that lady at her house in the very beginning and the fact that the bank's going to take it. She was not responsible enough to deserve that house. <laughs> yes, yes. What are some other, yeah, yeah. Or the, um, the, uh, or Kate who has to work to. She was jobs. not responsible enough to have a father. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's an overarching overarching theme. Or her dad, who was, you know, his dad. He was not responsible. He's not responsible enough to have to a career. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, the the inventor dad. Um, so now that the move, now that we've done with the recap, can I talk about that one scene in the 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 tech conference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the dad is an inventor, and we see him at a tech conference where there's uh like Robbie the robot or whatever that uh character's thing is from uh Lost in Space. There's Steven Spielberg running around on a recumbent bicycle in his cameo, and in the background, the dad is on the phone, and there's what looks like uh, it it literally looks like uh it's the H. G. Wells, Wells time, time machine, machine yeah. and there's a guy sitting in it. We cut back to the mom who's on the other end of the line talking to him. We cut back to the dad. The time machine is gone, and there are people like next to it going like whoa whoa where where is it it's it's like an airplane level sight gag in the background of this horror movie um so anyway the i I just want to touch on that so the theme of responsibility is you know like uh 
uh, it's a big responsibility to have a mogwai, obviously, but it's also a big responsibility to have your own job and to be responsible for making the bacon when your dad is a deadbeat inventor. And apparently your whole family doesn't have the balls to tell him to get a real job. Um, what other responsibility things come up? I'm drawing a blank here. It's It feels like a big theme, but what, where else does it come up? Yeah, I mean, there's not that many mm. real teaching moments. Like, he has problems with his car, but those just fix when the plot needs them to. That's not relevant. He has a dog that he only takes care of when it's relevant and just shoves it off on his dad when it's not. Um, <laughs> he loves he's not even remotely responsible with that dog either, by the way. He brings it to the fucking bank and stuff. So it's like, I agree that responsibility is a theme here, but I might almost just argue that irresponsibility is really the theme. Is that... Almost everyone in this movie acts irresponsibly. And they're punished e- for it. Except the old Chinese guy, I guess. But even he acts irresponsibly he responsible by his watching grandson. his stupid grandson better. Like, you have a world-ending monster and you just let this eight-year-old carry it around into the alley because you were, what, upstairs? Yeah. So so that's what I want to talk about is the Mogwai and how, you th- how we think they exist. Like, just the mythos of it. And this is why I love watching these movies. So, to me, the Mogwai have to be, like, an ancient weapon i'm thinking that they were like an ancient chinese dynasty no like, but say so a weapon presupposes invention it makes me no no no. That you makes think me think someone bioengineered them well that's i mean okay so you want to so what i believe based on nothing is that they had to have been manifested by like a trickster god whether you want to say the writer is the trickster Fair, god, I, i'm not gonna argue that's fine and so from that i believe there is one mogwai this stupid ten thousand and one or whatever i think gizmo is the only one and so in ancient Chinese dynasty this is simply headcanon I believe that like if a warlord wanted to conquer China he would send them a gift it's like a Trojan horse you know what's strange here you're attaching China to this just because a Chinese guy happens to own the one. At and Mogwai is a Chinese word. Because a Chinese guy is owning this one. What the fuck would he call it? He's Chinese. Well, it's my headcanon. He's not going to call it a Dutch word for gremlin. Well, I can't wait to hear what your headcanon says. I'm just saying your headcanon's fine. It could be older than China. It, I think... Uh, this, this is the, the first documented uh, instance of Mogwai that was lost when the uh, library of uh, Alexandria burned down. So uh, it, it was a Trojan horse. You would send it as a gift and people would accept it and you wouldn't tell them the rules. Maybe you tell them about the light so it didn't die instantly. But um, And so the, I think in my mind, the goal is you would give it to oh, a man, place. that first generation where they worked in another rules, people just keep opening them in their courtyard and they just fucking die. Instantly, and, oh, why aren't our weapons working? <sighs> or instantly melt. Yeah. Um, so I think they would send them there. They would feed them. They would feed them after midnight. They would get them wet. They would do all these things and it would just destroy it from the inside out. Flash forward to World War II, the Germans somehow discovered Mogwai, and uh, instead of sending them as Trojan horses, realized, well, we can just send the gremlins in as, uh, you know, things. And maybe that was real. Maybe that wasn't a fun headcanon. But I like to think that all of them, you know, are killed every time. If they were in China, then either uh, the the dynasty itself survives it, or See, the that's incoming the thing. new thing. It's comes not in. really that hard to kill them. No, you just wait till morning. But the problem is, and why almost any explanation for their existence instantly falls apart, is how fast they reproduce. Unless there's yeah. a constraint, like in this generation, we see Gizmo's first generation, then. Spike is second generation, then we see third generations made from Spike. If there's some, like, third generations can't reproduce anymore, then, okay, maybe this makes sense. But otherwise... They take over the world. All that happens is one rainstorm while one is outside. I'm, it's not even, like, 
a difficult thing to imagine no. and nothing would stop the endless reproduction nothing it would just keep making new ones forever the rules make no sense for that reason there's light everywhere there's water everywhere and when is after midnight i feel like these things are just yeah a if, time if you feed it at 6 a.m is that after midnight 4 30 3 30 2 30 which leads us 1 30 is clearly after midnight which leads us to the big question it, why is gizmo allowed to live immortality he has the to only, be only exemption he only has to be because otherwise again irresponsibility that chinese guy is really irresponsible because he should just kill it yeah so is he keeping it in that lock box to i mean forever? there is there is an argument that it's sentient and self-aware and intelligent it and absolutely you should, you is an argument kill it, be, it 100 is well it's an argument that it deserves to live because of those things <laughs> that even though even though religion. it presents a massive danger you shouldn't just kill it because it presents a danger um do you think there is uh, some kind of message about uh, reliance on electronics and technology in those things? Because that's kind of what the ending. Yeah, there totally is. is. Just like, like there is fear. about foreign fucking cars in there because it's an 80s movie and technology is the thing that scares the adults. Huh. Your parents dying is the thing that scares the kids. But in 84, new technologies. Foreign things? New foreign technologies. And technologies. Small town America. Oh, so scared. Technology is going to put us all out of business. That's, I mean, seriously, that's the one. I'm being thing that hyperbolic gets because it is treated with about that much care or attention. Here is it's just oh, isn't technology kind of scary? But you know what's weird is it's like the mid '80s, and I don't think I even saw anything more high tech than like a push button phone. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's kind of hard because every time they show the 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 house with all the weird technology things, I feel like I'm watching Back to the Future too with all the fancy, you know, like. Uh, instant pizza and all yeah, that. all the weird like doc brown-esque level inventions yeah, yeah yeah i think that was about it as far as themes oh there's the obvious like just family but just like blanket family movie themes of like uh you know they do a bad job with the family matters in this one for a family mean? movie family did not matter at all the dad isn't there the mom is on her own billy is like, completely the mom, checked the mom out basically like saves herself and then just gets checked out of the scene mm -hmm. and like so it's not like even they work together to save each other dad instigates the whole movie leaves comes back to see it done yeah. <laughs> dad's the one that family is pretty irrelevant to this film and then the kid, Billy, is the least responsible person. He breaks every single rule. Not intentionally. And, like, brags about it half the time. The only rule he breaks intentionally is to not get it wet. Because he just totally pours water on Gizmo for the for the high school teacher. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. No you're right. fucking attention to the rules there. The other ones were all accidents or unintentional. That one, he just goes, oh, fuck it. I'll just do it. So something I want to start doing on this show is talk about what happens after the movie's over. There are no police in town. Half of, like, the most important people in town are dead. Um, we only know one person. Mrs. I'm sorry. Deagle? Yeah, the no, cops? Well, there was, the cops aren't dead. The cops they are dead. They drove away. No, the cops are dead. They're, they're, that happens. Uh, they, the gremlins get inside the car, and they're like, whoa, and they swerve, and they die. Um, that I mentioned that during the movie, we were like, "Well, that, the entire I mean, police they, force they were is pretty gone. fucking incompetent." They so were. I guess so there's we'll just no hire cops. Some new cops. The most uh, the the real estate person in town is dead. Uh, news is all over the place on this town now, so maybe there will be some more like tourism or something. But what do you think happens after this now? Nothing. You what just, happens to you, the Peltzers? Rebuild, like, Does the it ever get back that it was them? And then it's no one's going to believe. I mean, you can't take it seriously because no one would. Everyone in that town would be dismissed as an insane person. And that's it? It would just be buried into an urban legend no, and no it, one would it care would again? No, it would never work because no one would buy that every single person in this town went insane with the same story. That so would be a national story for a 
long fucking time. Even if you believed it's hysteria, the idea that hundred plus people believe they fall into the same hysteria and with physical evidence that completely backs up like there's fucking security cameras yeah seriously there's a there's no there's no there's no like active suppression she was taking polaroids yeah she jesus christ that's right there like she takes a ton of polaroid pictures so there's physical proof there's tons of physical proof so there's probably gonna be bones in the fire and then at best they could and plus like there still is a living mogwai like they don't have it anymore but yeah, so it's like it probably will get back to the Peltzers, but I mean, what would that? And they'll get no one will believe murdered, them. lynched. Oh, okay. Like it's just everything. Because that's what I'm wondering. Nothing goes anywhere with it because it just doesn't make any sense. That's what like, I mean. Do you think the people in town would like convince themselves that it didn't happen, or they must have been hysterical? No, I think they would just the bury next, it. I think they'd spend the next five years trying to tell their story to anyone who listens, and they would be called crazy everywhere they go. No, they wouldn't because they have physical evidence <laughs> That's of it. Right. So this would break the world. Yes. So, so, you, so this isn't like going to just disappear after like the news reports at the end of this movie make it seem like oh, and everyone just moved on. No, who the fuck would move on from a new species of creature that you've never seen before? Imagine you were the only person in this town with any scrap of curiosity. You still saw all this happen. Yeah. You're still going to go somewhere with it. Just because every main character we've seen is a fucking wet blanket with no interest in the world around them. It might put Rand Peltzer on the map as an inventor. It might get him some attention somehow. Or maybe just thrown into an insane it's asylum. Just, no, it just doesn't... It can't happen. <laughs> It would just be an endless story. People would be digging into this. There's no way that this news would just wash its hands of a small town devolving into chaos with reports, credible, repeated reports of monsters and dead bodies everywhere. Kyle, people are dead. They're yes, reporting yes. on it like it was a after this, like after a sports game riot is the way they're reporting yeah, on it. Like, yeah, or like, oh, a, some people did storm. some really bad, like some stupid things. There's a dead woman in the fucking street and they're reporting about it like some trash cans got blown over. So so you believe that, yeah, this would change not just the small town, not just the Peltzer's lives, but the entire world now knowing that there, at least at some point, was a do you supernatural... Think, do you think the government's not going to try to militarize oh. that shit now? So they're going to try to... They're going to go to the Peltzer's and go, what do you know? Who did you talk to? Where did you get Dude, they're this? they're getting Guantanamo tomorrow. Oh my god, you're so right. There's some horror there. I want to see that. Those fuckers aren't going to just have a nice, happy life. They're, no, they're, they're gone they're into done. government government custody forever. They're done. Say goodbye. Um, one thing that I read that was interesting before we get to the rating, uh, apparently the crew hated the gizmo puppets. They were really hard to manipulate, really hard to make look cute on camera. So the scene of, uh, gizmo on the dartboard getting thrown darts at was the crew asked for that. They're like, can we torture gizmo in a scene? And they put him in. Um, cause yeah, the crew hated, uh, manipulating and working with gizmo. Um, and the last thing. I forgot how popular this story is that they wanted monkeys to be the gremlins, but early tests didn't work because the monkeys were just absolutely hysterical when they were forced to wear gremlins heads and masks and things. God, Hollywood just wanting to do. But there is early screen tests of a monkey as a gremlin, and it, it looks weird, you know? It'd be good like for the motion, but yeah, you probably would could look- never make the animal behave or not be scared. Um, and then finally, uh, I mentioned that Peter uh, that Frank Welker plays one of the... I'm sorry, I mentioned that Howie Mandel plays Gizmo, but Frank Welker, uh, famous for Megatron, plays uh, Spike. Uh, basically, all he says is, yum, yum. Let's hear your best Spike. <laughs> yum. <laughs> that was it. That was me. I did it just there. <laughs> or how about uh, Gizmo? You don't, want to, you don't want to do either. Okay, all right. So. No, I was waiting for you to do that one for me, too, so I could just claim credit for... <laughs>
That's that's Gizmo. So that is the movie of Gremlins from 1984. Uh, we're getting to my favorite part of the podcast where we talk about the rating, what we thought about the movies. We live to rate it on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst, five being the best on whatever criteria we want. Derek, what'd you think of this movie? I mean, you have to go first. For I have me. to go second. It's not for me. It's an old family movie. I you want between one and five for me watching it now? Yeah, but I want your honest opinion on it to one, reflect maybe one, listeners because who agree if you want to see it, it's like a three star movie. I'd give it a three stars if I was giving it a critical review, but I'm going to give it like one for me because it's just maybe two. I guess two is fair. Like imagine if you were telling this to someone like at dinner, and I'm going like, oh, that's I so would great. never recommend this movie. Yeah, to anyone. okay, then, I would yeah. never tell someone to go out and watch this. That's, okay, because it is old. It is stupid, and it's bad at this point. Like, it has very little redeeming reasons why you should go out. Go watch E.T. It's a similar fucking story, but it's way better. And even it's bad. So it's like... You think E.T. is bad? Tell me why E.T. is good. I love E.T. It's slow, but it's fun. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's a giant fucking product commercial for Reese's Pieces. I hate that movie. How many thumbs did you say? Wait, they're thumbs? I thought it was giving it stars. Oh, no, it's always thumbs. thumbs. Okay, One uh, to five thumbs. I'll still give it two. Because two. it is, if you're like trying to entertain an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old, you could do worse than this. But I would never tell someone to go out and watch this movie. I would give it to a ten-year-old. I think an eight-year-old might be kind of young. It, I, I, don't, I wouldn't point, want to give them nightmares. Oh, at this point? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, it's all so fucking hokey. An eight-year-old knows those are puppets. And who do those thumbs belong to? Typically on the gory days, we like to uh, give our thumbs to characters from the film. Mm. Probably the bank manager who exists for one scene. The bank manager <laughs> who comes know. in, admonishes Billy for bringing his dog to work, but then lets apparently him go <laughs> lets him go home early, doesn't fire him because one of the other customers, played by Judge Reinhold, like schmoozes the bank owner into not firing him? Uh, yeah, so that worthless side character represents my feelings about the movie. The bank manager. Both two, thumbs. Two thumbs. Okay. <laughs> and you? Hmm? And you? What about me? No, nothing. Just. Well, that's it on the gory days. Oh, you mean what did I think of the movie? Gremlins, 1984. Uh, it's got a lot of Steven Spielberg feel to it. It's got that family... Uh, You're right, it is old-fashioned feeling. Steven Spielberg feel to it. Like Steven Spielberg is still making movies. He just came out with Ready Player One, and it still has that Steven Spielberg feel to it. Uh, I feel like if I were to watch Schindler's List today, it would have that Steven Spielberg feel to it. Um, <laughs> didn't he do that? He did Saving Private Ryan, at least. I think he also did Schindler's List. I know, just play by the comedy rules. You, you never, you never go. It's a film. Uh, lots of red. Um, don't make Holocaust jokes. It's not a Holocaust joke. The film is the, is, it's chroma keyed. So like most of it is. No, gray. I just mean like, don't even bring up Schindler's List <laughs> in the sense of comedy. <laughs> Gremlins, 1984, <laughs> feels so much like a family movie, and it's got these graphic horror things. I already overplayed my hand at the beginning when I said that I love this movie. I love the theme song whenever it plays. Um, I love the Mogwai theme. Um, I think the, the, the horror elements are perfectly balanced with the comedy stuff. Even though the horror isn't that scary, it still serves the movie's purpose. Uh, there's there's a lot of characters, but the ones that are important uh, all all have direction. Um, Billy is not a good actor, 
by any stretch of the eyebrows, but uh, he still comes off as being naive, which is what he's supposed to they be. Do, they do act like human beings. Yes. Would in most... No, that's not... No, they don't. No, they don't. Never they, mind. They're experiencing like a gas they, they literally never react the way a human being would react to anything that happens. Every time something horrible happens, back. they react like it's nothing or like it's a, a breeze or a dog barking in the distance. Um, So realism, like I said, doesn't need to exist. It feels like a fairy tale, kind of. It's got its own like cautionary tale and all of that. That being said, uh, I would give the... Man, I was thinking about this when I was, when I was walking into the studio. I was like, do I do I want to give this five thumbs? Is this a five thumb movie? And the answer is no, because this is the gory days. And while it did have those horror elements, that's not what we appreciate as much in this as far as our scales go. So I am going to give it four thumbs. And who do those thumbs belong to? I want to give all four of those thumbs to four di- well, I was going to say I was going to try to give all four of them to the dog but I realized dogs don't have four thumbs they have two dew claws um so instead I'm going to give one thumb to Stripe the leader of the band one thumb to Gizmo on drums one thumb to Pete played by Corey Feldman on the keys and one thumb to ironically Gizmo is the one who plays a keyboard so. <laughs> that's right <laughs> He can be on drums too, I guess. Um, and uh, I'll give the oh, I'll give the last one thumb to uh, Murray Futterman, Dick Miller, the uh, alcoholic guy who hates foreigners. I love that guy, Dick Miller. Wherever he shows up, it's I not love fair putting to call him, him an alcoholic just because he's drinking at a bar till it closes. That's true. He does not drive after that. They convince him to walk home. So and I, I mean, guess just because not... you're a regular at a bar doesn't mean you're an alcoholic and he's not drinking at home when he's watching tv and the the thing fritz is out yeah so well that's it for gremlins 1984 on the gory days uh don't forget if you want to hear your thoughts or anything read on here give us a tweet or a comment or anything on instagram or twitter at the gory days any final words Derek? stay scary out there stay still you beat me too at the gory days